It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Yow, I just saw some video of the flooding in Northern California. This is no ordinary flooding, folks. I saw some pictures from Montecito, uh, which is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And it was, you know, cars floating down the street and men up to their chests in water trying to rescue other people. That's the place where Harry and Meghan have their palatial estate. And I couldn't do it yesterday. You know, Harry's book came out. And the 60 Minutes interview with Anderson Cooper. And I just, I needed a day before diving back into Harry and Meghan land. I just decided that I wasn't going to inflict it on myself or on you. But today, later in the podcast, we will talk about the great explosion in the UK and how this book apparently goes so much further than any of the Netflix stuff, which now just seems like, uh, you know, a little prelude to the really dirty stuff. Um, I was reading this article about the closing of the world's most, what was what is considered the world's finest restaurant, Noma. Uh, it's in Copenhagen. I've been to Copenhagen. I have not eaten there. When I went, it was long before Noma existed. And, you know, it's great that it has such a wonderful, wonderful reputation. But as you read further into it, um, Noma says it's closing its doors at the end of next year because, for financial reasons, essentially, And then you read a little further into that, and it's not such a happy story. It turns out that, you know, the owner is saying, well, to produce this level of luxury cuisine, you know, somebody has to pay. It's backbreaking work. And they weren't paying their interns, so they started paying their interns after some bad publicity. They added another $50,000 a month. Um, Low wages for foreign workers. uh, And they faced a choice, which is, you know, continue to try to produce this, you know, wonderfully praised cuisine or pay their employees more equitably. And they said, oh, well, the hell with it. We'll just close it. We're going to turn it into some kind of food lab. Anyway, have you seen this? Um, some Democrats calling on Joe Biden to extradite the former Brazilian president, Bolsonaro. It's all very murky as to how and why Bolsonaro is in Florida But in any event, AOC and Texas Congressman Joaquin Castro are saying, you know, with the violence that so closely resembles January 6th taking place or having taken place at the Brazilian buildings that house the Supreme Court, the Congress, the President's Palace, that why is the guy who never acknowledged losing, I mean, he didn't stay there and contest the election, but he's never acknowledged losing. Why are we in the United States of America allowing him to live in this rented home near Disney World? Uh, There's some question about, has he overstayed his visa? Uh, There's going to be some pressure on Biden from the current duly elected president, Lula, probably to bring Bolsonaro back. Um... And as I say, it's all sort of shrouded in mystery, and I don't see why that should be the case. All right. Got a lot to get to here, including uh, the British stuff, which is a lot of fun, trust me. Uh, Let's see here. Story number one. Kevin McCarthy. You'd think he would get a little bit of a breather 
after finally uh, winning the speakership on the 15th ballot over the weekend. Um, and yet, he had another battle on his hands last night where he finally eked out a victory, and it had to do with rules for the House. You know, it's not unusual. New party takes over. They want their own set of rules. When a new party takes over with a four-seat margin and just had this, you know, politically awful battle over who should be speaker, although I never thought that anybody other than McCarthy was in a position to win. And you know, I write a column today in Fox about my interview uh, on Fox on Sunday with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and why she decided to team up with McCarthy rather than opposing him, even though they had said unkind things about each other. And it's kind of a story of a lawmaker who, you know, said lots of outrageous things in the past, walked away from some of that and said, you know, I want to accomplish something. And rather than just, you know, building my Instagram profile, uh, I want to be in the room, as Alexander Hamilton put it. Well, she was in the room. That picture of her holding up the phone, her phone with Donald Trump, on the line and how angry another congressman got when he wouldn't take the call. Um, but also her explaining why she decided to trust McCarthy. And, you know, it's possible that they'll be disappointed. But, you know, if you thought the speaker's battle was kind of arcane and boring, House internal rules, uh, forget about it. So they were able to pass, the Republicans were able to pass this last night. And... They had to, like some of the people who opposed McCarthy also wanted to oppose this, um, saying that, and these may be some actually of the moderates who were worried about running for election, saying they, McCarthy gave up too much and so forth. So among the things that are in this rules package is allowing lawmakers to use spending bills to defund specific programs and fire federal officials or reduce their pay. I never heard of that, but, you know, it reminds me of the uh, decades ago battle over the line item veto, because this is the thing is a lot of congressional spending gets kind of smushed into these huge omnibus bills. Nobody knows half of what's in there. And what the Republicans want to do, since they want to have lower spending and good luck with that. I mean, both, you know, out of control federal spending has been a thing under both Republican and Democratic administrations and certainly soared under Biden, some in part because of the pandemic, in part because, you know, we had a Democratic president who had a regressive wing to satisfy. So, of course, the Republicans come in and they would like to start cutting the budget. But it turns out that cutting the budget, which didn't happen under Donald Trump, uh, is also a hard thing to do. In addition, there will be a new subcommittee under judiciary focused on the weaponization of the federal government. More on that in moments. But, uh, and also requiring that uh, lawmakers have 72 hours to read the text of bills before a vote. I don't know how anybody can object to that. Um, legislation must, eject, must address a single subject in an attempt to discourage the introduction of these sprawling bills. Because if what happens is you're a member of Congress and the bill has something you really want, a new subway line for your district. Or it has, you know, a research funding program at a university that's in your district or state. But then it's got a whole bunch of other stuff that you don't like. 
And you know if you vote for it, you're going to get hammered in a 30-second ad. And so they're saying, let's keep the bill separate. Well, good luck with that because Congress can barely pass a budget even under the current system. Um, so anyway, some of the Republicans are hailing this and saying, you know, McCarthy did a good job of getting this through. We'll see what happens. But what's their first move? Well, this will be popular, but won't necessarily make a lot of sense. Cutting funding for the IRS. Now, what Joe Biden did when he's pushing through his costly legislation is he wanted to pour $80 billion into a severely understaffed IRS. You ever try to reach anybody at the IRS these days? Um, I mean, they they can't answer the phone with stuff dating, claims dating back years. And the Republicans have have kind of been clever about this because, I mean, who likes the IRS? Everybody hates the IRS. But... The fact that the IRS doesn't, you know, the classic example is Donald Trump himself. They had one agent available to go up against Trump's army of accountants and lawyers. But the thing is, when you say that people are cheating the system because the IRS is so understaffed, that means that you and I pay higher taxes because somebody has to make up the money that's not coming in. But if you look at it as this money that Biden wanted to hire uh, 87,000 new IRS employees and modernize the technology systems, um, if that makes you uneasy, queasy, or even frightened, then you say, I don't want this. I don't want them auditing me. Uh, And so, you know, you get the scoring of a bill by the Congressional Budget Office. How much will this cost taxpayers, et cetera? Rescinding that IRS funding will actually increase the deficit by $114 billion. Why? Because the IRS is not, would not be able to collect money that the Treasury is legally owned. So as I say, there's this sort of gut-level appeal of, yeah, you know, I, this reminds me of, was it in the 80s or the 90s, where there was another one of these Republican assaults on the IRS um, and also on ATF, and they were called like jackbooted thugs and so forth, when in reality, you know, most of them are just accountants trying to do their job. Um, So none of this may matter for this reason. The Republicans only control the House. There are going to be a lot of things that Republicans do that are basically, and by the way, Democrats did the same thing when they only controlled the House but not the Senate, you know, that are kind of messaging bills, which is to say, that Kevin McCarthy, even if every Republican votes in lockstep with him, even if he gets some Democrats to go along with him, uh, is not going to be able to pass anything that doesn't involve some sort of consensus with the Democratic-controlled Senate and with the White House. So you'll see a lot of headlines. There'll be a lot of hearings. There'll be a lot of outrages. It's interesting. I mean, that they would go after the IRS first. I think it is probably a popular move. But then you say, well, you know, why are you against this? Have you been paying your fair share of taxes? You know, look, I guess there's a sense that IRS audits can be abusive and get out of control. But right now, I mean, the IRS is essentially a dysfunctional agency. You cannot even get an answer um, to why you never got that check two years ago. You just can't. Ask any accountant. Um, So... So here's where the real fight comes in. This business about the weaponization of the federal government. And this reminds me of the John Durham investigation, where under pressure from President Trump, 
you know, a special counsel was appointed, Durham, uh, to look into the origins of the Russia, Russia, Russia investigation and all that. And he ended up indicting, got like one guilty plea, indicted a couple of people who were not convicted. And the whole thing ended with a whimper, not a bang. So now the Republicans want the ability to look at any investigation handled by the FBI, IRS, there's those initials again, Intel community. And I'm all for, you know, holding federal agencies accountable. There are abuses. There is prosecutorial misconduct. There are things that get out of control. But here's the problem. The House Republicans want this to be done involving ongoing criminal investigations. And in my book, those have always been shielded, protected, because of the fact that there are ongoing criminal investigations. And we're going to see a lot of fireworks over this. Uh, former House Counsel Stan Brand, who was advising witnesses for the January 6th Committee, quoted as saying in this story in Politico that um, this will be a separation of powers hornet's nest. DOJ will have to draw clearer lines on the sand over what they'll provide. Uh, the judiciary will be chaired by Jim Jordan. I don't know who will chair the subcommittee. Maybe it's been worked out. Maybe it hasn't. Um, and it's just... If you were under federal criminal investigation, you might welcome a House subcommittee taking a look at that and decided that you've been treated unfairly. But on the other hand, you want to keep all that confidential. And the Department of Justice, it's illegal to leak that. Now, has stuff about from ongoing criminal investigations leaked out before? Absolutely. I've talked about it for a year and a half with the January 6th stuff when Justice decided it had to fight back, particularly after the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. Um, so there's going to be a sort of clash of titans here between justice saying there's no way you can see this. It's an ongoing investigation. It's a different, little different situation, I think, if it's a closed investigation and no charges are being brought. Um, so as somebody who uh, enjoys the constitutional test of wills, uh, I would like to see how this is going to work. I think it may be a lot of smoke and fire by the Republicans. And again, you know, how aggressively did the Democratic House investigate anything having to do with the Biden administration's functioning and regulatory decisions and so forth? Uh, The answer is about as aggressively as Republican houses investigate Republican administrations. Now, there are exceptions to that on both sides. You've got a strong-willed committee chairman who wants to take on uh, the the excesses of government and how government is screwing up and screwing up our lives. Whether they uh, whether they're feeling so pure about this or not, another question. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Let me go on to story two because it's pretty interesting. And let me say right at the top here, this is a political loser for Joe Biden. This is an absolute gift to Donald Trump, 
But now you have the Justice Department, uh, as first reported by CBS or the CNN, also had an early story on it, has launched a review of the discovery of classified documents at Joe Biden's Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement in downtown D.C. White House confirmed the ongoing inquiry, said it's cooperating with DOJ, quickly handed over the documents to the National Archives. About 10 documents were found, according to one source. Uh, Here's the official statement, White House cooperating regarding uh, the discovery. According to Richard Sauber, he has been hired as the special counsel to President Biden. Another you know, lawyer, criminal lawyer, political lawyer has been around forever. Um, now, these were found in early November, shortly before Merrick Garland picks Jack Smith to be special counsel in the Trump investigation, of which part of which clearly has to do with classified documents. Now, I can go ahead and tell you all the distinctions here, and this Washington Post story will do it as well. But it looks awful. At the time, this was a former vice president. Shouldn't have had these documents. We don't know what the documents entail. Some of them are classified. And if you think Republicans are not already having a field day with this, after all of the huge furor over Donald Trump's top secret documents, then you don't understand how D.C. works. Let's put it that way. So, the obvious difference is, in this case, these 10 or so documents were discovered by people working for Biden at this University of Pennsylvania think tank. And it was the Biden people who notified the National Archives who voluntarily turned it over. In the case of Donald Trump, um, nobody knew how many documents were taken, There was a lot of letters and phone calls back and forth demanding, and a grand jury subpoena demanding that the documents be returned. Some were, some weren't. Uh, After Trump lawyers handed over 38 classified documents, an FBI search recovered more than 100 additional classified documents. So that's why you have the specter, at least, of obstruction in in that case. But so what? Because that's too complicated to explain to most people. Um, the Biden documents said Sauber were not the subject of any previous request or inquiry by the archives. Um, now, already there are questions being raised about the timing here, because if these documents were discovered in early November, uh, as Steve Ducey pointed out on Fox and Friends, why have they waited two months to tell us this happened a week before the midterms? Because this would have been explosive news before the midterms. And Ainsley Earhart is asking whether Biden should get the same treatment that Trump got uh, about the Mar-a-Lago raid. And then Brian Kilby jumps in and says that if they were treated the same, they would have raided the University of Pennsylvania for the rest of the documents, beat up the secretary, and then just grab everything they could. All right, a little bit of uh, uh, sarcasm here. Here's Donald Trump's statement. Sheer speculation. Biden giving China highly classified documents would be a bridge too far. He said on Truth Social, I certainly wouldn't do that. Not a good situation for our country to be in. All right, obligatory fact check. We don't know that it had anything to do with China. Uh, Biden didn't give them, according to the reporting we have so far, to any foreign country. They're sitting there in a think tank in Washington, D.C. that has his name on it. So 
let's not get carried away. But again, in pure political terms, uh, if Jack Smith and Merrick Garland were to decide to bring criminal charges against Trump uh, having to do with obstruction and these classified documents, which I've never been convinced of that that would be enough, but you certainly can't rule it out. Well, in that case, uh, what do you think uh, Donald Trump himself and his allies and defenders are going to say? They're going to say double standard. They're going to say the Biden Justice Department is prosecuting our nominee for 2024, but not uh, going after the man at the head of the administration who did something that kind of sort of sounds similar, but it's not, but doesn't matter. I mean, it was a complete blunder to have these documents in the former vice president's possession. And, you know, that was a think tank where he gave jobs to uh, Tony Blinken worked there and Steve Vachetti, you know, was kind of a think tank in exile before Biden made his 2021. So I lay it out for you. You're going to hear a lot more about it. Number three, remember George Santos? Well, of course you do. He's the congressman who, I guess he's now been sworn in from Long Island, who um, was found to have fabricated, exaggerated, or outright conjured out of thin air just about every part of his resume. Now, what's a lot of people have asked me, what's going to happen to this guy? Because if this had come out during the campaign, he never would have been elected. Uh, but nevertheless, he was elected. So... Um, on the one hand, there's a complaint filed by a group called the Campaign Legal Center uh, with the FEC saying that Santos is guilty of wide-ranging campaign finance violations uh, that masked the true source of his campaign's funding. I've always felt that this was going to be, you know, I mean, you can be politically uh, pilloried if you claim to have graduated from a certain college or you say you worked at Goldman Sachs, whatever. It's not necessarily illegal unless you lie on a federal government disclosure form. But in addition to that, we have CNBC, and this is a scoop, saying that a member of George Santos's political team had a plan to raise money for his campaign. And how he did this? Impersonate the chief of staff of now House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Now, that sounds vaguely, oh, I don't know, illegal. Uh, wealthy donors received calls and emails from a man who said he was Dan Meyer, McCarthy's chief of staff, during the 2020 and 2022 election cycles, because this guy ran, Santos ran once before and didn't win. According to people familiar with the matter, his name was actually Sam Mealy. I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. He worked for Santos raising money for his campaign, according to one GOP donor who contributed to Santos's campaign. This financier and others in this story declined to be named. Um, the impersonation of the top House Republican chief of staff adds to an emerging picture of a winning campaign propelled by fabrications and questionable tactics. Santos now under investigation, you know, even before he's had a chance to find the bathroom. At private events with GOP donors, Santos would flaunt or hint at key parts of his resume that have turned out to be false. We were duped said a Republican political strategist close to GOP donors and the leadership of the Republican Jewish coalition. Remember, Santos had said he was Jewish or his mother was Jewish, and then, well, not really. It was just Jewish. I mean, there's so many threads to unravel here. Um, so he raised about $3 million for this campaign in 2022. And um, look, I, I've been doing this a long time, and something's not adding up here. 
Uh, I don't know exactly how far these people went, but there's this great mystery. I mean, Santos basically didn't have much money at all. Suddenly, he's lending his own house campaign uh, $700,000. Where did that money come from? Uh, Was it based on impersonation? Where did that money go? Uh, Was that money used to pay rent? I mean, there's so many questions here, and there are so many inquiries, federal and state, that we haven't heard the last of George Santos. Now, this next one, story number four, comes courtesy of my friend Steve Krakauer, who is a former CNN executive, uh, works with Megyn Kelly now in her Sirius XM show, and who um, publishes the Fourth Watch newsletter, which is an interesting take, very well-reported and thoughtful take on all kinds of media, ethical, and other matters. Don't always 100% agree, but it's provocative. And, you know, he takes it seriously. It's not just something that's dashed off. So he is taking on, he's going back to the whole FTX debacle, Sam Bankman-Fried. And, you you know, everybody knows the outlines by now. I mean, this was a young guy who got incredibly favorable coverage from the likes of New York Times and elsewhere, gave money to media organizations to help them pay expenses, um, was c- commonly described as somebody who was just a do-gooder at heart and wanted to give all this money to favorable, you know, liberal causes, gave a hell of a lot of money to Democrats, including Joe Biden, although we later learned he gave undisclosed money to Republicans. I still haven't seen a accounting on that. And then it all collapses. He's indicted. Um, billions of dollars have been lost because Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX have been playing with other people's money other people's money, other investors who thought their money, their investments in crypto were safe. So, Krakauer says in the newsletter, you would think there'd be some uh, universal introspection at this point. I've learned not to be so hopeful. Uh, But instead, some of the press appear to double down, hoping to justify their ridiculous coverage of SBF in the first place. Take the latest softball, he says, from the New York Times. Attempting to launder SBF's reputation by telling a story through the locals in the Bahamas, where he had been conveniently hiding away for a while. Remember, he had to be extradited and agreed to be extradited. Um, And I'll read from some of that New York Times story in a minute. But what Krakauer is saying is, they're still puffing this guy up, you know, in part because he's, I shouldn't say he's a white-collar criminal because he's presumed innocent, but People, the kind of people who would work at the New York Times and read the New York Times could more easily sympathize with him than, let's say, somebody who has a history of actually robbing banks at gunpoint. So here, make up your own mind. In the Bahamas, a lingering sympathy for Sam Bankman-Fried. That's the headline. I'm not making this up. Uh, a school administrator in Nassau said, I think he had a good heart as she was shopping nearby to the place where he and his uh, former colleagues lived in this luxury penthouse. The connection between Bahamanians and Mr. Bankman-Fried, who was born and spent most of his life in California, reflects a complicated set of circumstances. Uh, Much as he did in the U.S., Bankman-Fried donated millions of dollars to a dizzying collection, okay, here it comes, of Bahamanian charities, churches, and government entities, including the local police. So they all liked him because he was spreading the dough around, right? Um, And it goes on to say that uh, in March, FTX covered the cost of a ritzy resort ballroom used for a state reception 
to welcome Prince William and Catherine Middleton, then the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, who were visiting the island. Um, now, New York Times story goes on to say, residents may find it easier to commiserate with Bankman Free because it is unlikely that FTX's victims, who prosecutors say lost as much as $8 billion in the fraud, including many locals. Residents of the Bahamas must apply for special permission from the country's central bank to invest in cryptocurrency. So they couldn't even buy this garbage. Um, they all like him because he seemed like a nice guy and he spread a lot of money around. In fact, at the uh, this luxury compound where they lived, uh, they were generous employers. One delivery driver said he was tipped more than $100 to take a modest Burger King order to a cryptocurrency investor. I feel bad for him, said Philip Butler, an elder at the Christian Life Church in Nassau. But do you equally feel bad for the people who got hosed, who essentially got robbed, even though it wasn't at gunpoint? Well, here's the second uh, example that Krakow brings up in the Fourth Watch newsletter. The Washington Post a few days ago profiled Sam's one-time girlfriend, Carolyn Ellison. And here's the headline. Carolyn Ellison wanted to make a difference. Now she's facing prison. Poor Carolyn. She just wanted to make a difference, Steve writes. From the article, Ellison's mother and father are economics professors at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Her father, who wrote math textbooks for kids, got her into math at a young age. She read a lot, too, tackling a thick Harry Potter book when she was just five because she was too impatient to wait for her parents to read it to her. Now, remember, Steve says, barely mentioned in this piece is that she was a willing accomplice in this spectacular fraud. And why is there a rush, he asked, to humanize these criminals? It can't be just that their crimes are vague and confusing or that they are white, upper-class nerds, quality shared by many in New York City and D.C. newsrooms. No, it's about culpability and a media that showed such a keen disinterest in the duo before. So that in that Washington Post piece, um, she and Sam were both children of accomplished academics. Um, but here's the thing. Whereas Bankman Free is at least nominally uh, fighting the charges, Carolyn Ellison has pleaded guilty to charges that she... Sam Bankman-Fried and other FTX executives conspired to steal their customers' money. At a hearing a couple weeks ago, she apologized to FTX customers, saying she knew what she did was wrong. So it's not like, oh, I got caught up in this thing and I didn't really know. She knew, and she testified that she knew, and she apologized. So even against that backdrop, you got this stuff about the Harry Potter and so forth, like she... Uh, it's kind of mind-boggling. Like, why such an effort to create sympathy for, particularly in this case, this 28-year-old woman who improperly played with billions of dollars that she knew did not belong to her? Um, in a 2020 podcast interview, she said, one of my most important goals is maximizing my impact, working at Alameda, that's the sister company to FDX, it's sort of good for that for a few reasons. I mean, the direct thing is making money. It's definitely stressful at times. It gives me a sense of purpose and meaning to feel like I'm needed or what I'm doing is valuable. I'm quoting all this because it's in the story. The judge said to her, did you know it was legal? Yes, she said. 
I, I just don't get it. I really don't get it. I mean, if you are somebody who has a cousin who is picked up on robbery charges or carjacking or something, who is not a white upper class nerd, you think you get these kind of pieces written? You think you get any kind of sympathy from the media? You probably don't even get covered by the media unless you stole a particularly massive amount of money or there was something about your alleged crime that made it uh, nationally newsworthy. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, as promised, number five. Here we go. Um, 60 Minutes got an extra million viewers, bringing it up to 10.5 million for the Prince Harry interview that aired Sunday. Uh, Well-placed sources say there was no trust left between senior royals and the Duke after the release of his explosive memoir, which is called Spare, after he uh, said the queen consort, that's Camilla, who he labeled the villain, was behind the negative leaks to the press as she sacrificed me on her personal PR altar. This is tough stuff. Um, Harry saying that Camilla's ruthless crusade to rehabilitate her image meant there was going to be people or bodies left in the street after being cast as the third parent, excuse me, the third person in his parents' marriage. Well, you can see where Harry, you know, who adores his late mother Diana, is not going to have a huge amount of sympathy for Camilla. Uh, Harry was also making the rounds. He went on Good Morning America. He did say, well, she was not an evil stepmother. Thanks for that, Harry. <laughs> um, both King Charles, Prince William, said to be exasperated, burning with anger over this 557-page uh, memoir. Harry said, I don't know if they'll be watching this interview or not, but this is speaking to ITV. But... What they have to say to me and what I have to say to them will be in private, and I hope it can stay that way. Yeah, okay. But he also said the divide between him and his family could not be greater. So let's take a look at some of the UK coverage. The Independent. A reconciliation with Prince Harry is impossible because the king, queen, consort, and Prince William fear anything they say will be made public. The Independent understands. A source close to the royal family said the king, Camilla, and William believe the situation will remain unchanged while the Duke of Sussex effectively remains kidnapped by a cult of psychotherapy and Meghan. Now, who says these people don't know how to fight back? Wowza. They are trapped, said the source. They really can't engage because everything they say will be shared with the media. It is impossible to have a conversation or write a letter because of the risk that anything they say being put in the public domain by Harry potentially for commercial benefit. Okay, that's the Independent. Here's the Sun. Prince Harry has disclosed private details of how Princess Charlotte cried when she tried on her bridesmaid dress as he revisited the infamous pre-wedding row between Meghan and Kate. Perhaps you forgot this infamous row. <laughs> um, he said his young niece, now seven years old, uh, was upset, and Harry came home, felt Meghan sobbing on the floor. I mean, talk about first world problems. Uh, Charlotte's dress is too big, too long, too baggy. Why is this such a huge deal? Why couldn't it just be fixed? I do not know. And here in the sun is when it comes to uh, British invective, I think he has no peer. Excuse the pun, please. Piers Morgan saying, it didn't take long for the first laugh out loud lie to spew 
from Prince Harry's mouth in the transatlantic TV tour for his new autobiography. Um, he told ITV, nothing of what I've done in this book or otherwise has ever been with any intention to harm them or hurt them. The cold, bitter reality, and we're talking Siberian levels of seething, icy resentment here, is that Harry fully intended, says Pierce, to cause maximum harm and hurt to his family with his literary weapon of mass destruction. Uh, Pierce goes on to say that far from seeking the privacy he pretends to crave, since fleeing to America, he's coughed his confessional guts up to anyone prepared to give him a massive fee, from Oprah to Netflix to Spotify and now Penguin Random House, the publisher of the book. The more Harry proclaims he's never been happier, the more wretchedly miserable he looks. But how could anyone be happy taking endless pieces of silver to sell out their family and country like this? The more Harry lambastes the British tabloid press as the devil, full disclosure, I was a British tabloid editor for 10 years and had many personal dealings with the royals, including his mother, Diana. The more he believes, behaves like the very worst kind of nasty, gossipy gutter snipe that he professes most to despise. So he could tell he's really kind of warming up here. He brands King Charles a poor father, Camilla a dangerous villain, and on and on and on. He even reveals, without any permission, that William is circumcised. Uh, TMI? Yes, a guy who hates press intrusion tells the world in a media interview that his brother had the tip of his penis foreskin severed. Uh, I don't get it, but when Pierce said nothing is off limits, he's kind of right. Talked about how he lost, Harry talked about how he lost his virginity behind a pub to an older woman who treated him like a young stallion. But how much of this garbage can we really believe? Okay, just winding up here. And then finally... Um, you know, he says, well, Harry and Meghan kind of accused the, accused the royals of racism, but now they say, well, it wasn't really racism. What disingenuous tripe. There were direct and immediate consequences of those racism claims at the time. I lost my job, says Piers Morgan, presenting Good Morning Britain because of my refusal to apologize for saying I didn't believe them. And I'll leave it up to you whether to believe them or not. Um, but clearly, Piers Morgan has a uh, an axe to grind here, as he cheerfully admits on his way to filleting Harry and Meghan, as most of the UK press is doing. And I got to say, you know, to on the one hand say I want to still have a role with the royal family, and I was meant I was born to serve, and to reveal all of this intensely personal stuff, it looks to me like the bridges have been burned. London Bridge has been burned, and I don't know if there's any getting back. And with that, thank you for sharing this time with me as we row our way through the global landscape. And if you're not already a subscriber, I've already told you that we had 3.7 million downloads in 2022. Well, jump on the train here in 2023, make it a regular thing. And I will see you all tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.